This is episode 37 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 37 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Sean Rea on the show for the second time. He was so inspiring the first time I had to have him on a second time here in person right in the studio. Sean came on and he talked about his current strategy. He talked about what he's been doing over the summer and how now he's he's starting to move from focusing on multifamilies that are just for families to also having some multifamilies with Airbnb components as well. Uh, it's a creative strategy. Sean's always finding new ways to cash flow and I mean cash flow big. He's a smart renovator when he needs to be. But the thing I took away from Sean is that he knows his market better than his competition. If there's one takeaway from this this episode, it's to know your market better. And when you listen to this episode and watch this episode, you're really going to see why it's so important. Sean's an incredibly inspiring guy. You're really going to love this episode. Without further ado, here is Sean Rea. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Sean Rea on for the second time to give us an update. Sean, thank Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate it. And uh, I'm glad to be back on. Yeah. Well, I've, I've started to have a couple of people who are in the high performer category come back on and uh, give an update, which I know you, uh, you were crushing it. You started off uh, with a full head of steam. So for those people who didn't catch the last episode, can you, uh, can you give your little elevator pitch as to how you got started and uh, where you're at right now as an investor? Yeah. So um, I got started investing in real estate a couple years back in the Niagara region, um, I started with uh, duplexes and um, my strategy essentially was to start off house hacking where I would live in one unit, rent out the other unit, try to build up some equity, save some money, um, use any cash flow that I was getting to reinvest into another property. Um, over the last two years, the last time when I was on here back in May, um, I, I had been able to acquire, I think I was at 13 units when um, when we did the the last episode okay and uh that was about five months ago um since then i've been able to acquire a couple more properties and um also kind of changed my strategies i was really focused just on uh duplexes triplexes fourplexes so the smaller multifamilies and um, anything that would cash flow long-term buy and hold and now i've kind of switched over and i'm starting to get into airbnb Okay, yeah, that is new. That's the first time hearing hearing of Airbnb from you, so that's uh, we'll definitely dive into that and uh, get some numbers going. You started what? You said four years ago. Uh, well, my f- when I really started investing it was about two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. And I remember you saying you had you had been working uh, a job closer to Toronto at the time, was it, or you're still in the yeah. same one? No, I'm I'm yeah. working in Fort Erie. I also live yeah. in Fort Erie now. Yeah. Um, it, but back when. Back before I started, if we rewind a little bit, I was working in Mississauga. Um, I'm originally from Hamilton, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm a Steel City boy, I guess. And I had been commuting back and forth from Hamilton to Mississauga. Then I moved to Stony Creek and I was commu- commuting from Stony Creek to Mississauga. Then Welland and I was commuting from Welland to Mississauga. Oh, wow. And then eventually I, I made the switch and I, I left that job in Mississauga. And now I'm uh, living and working and investing in the Niagara region. Okay. And I think you were at one point, you said you weren't, weren't saving up fast enough. And this, I remember the story. I do tend to remember stories better than anything. Uh, you, uh, you took on three jobs at one point. 
that was a crazy year that was yeah that was really like just hustle 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 yeah i think that's a good a good word to define what you've done you you hustled because i think your your family didn't come from a background in real estate investing no you didn't have a head start with any money given to you none at all so that first property was that just savings that was um buying and selling sneakers basically buying and selling <laughs> sneakers saved a down payment got yeah. the first property and then from there what's your primary strategy been to get where you are right now um i would say the the best strategy that i have used and successfully executed would be the burst strategy um okay. i've done it a couple times and man is it sweet because you can get all your money back you know, pretty quickly and have no money in the deal and still, still be cash flowing. It's been a while since I listened to our last episode. I, I don't remember which example you had given. I think you did give an example of a burr that you had done. Yeah. The, the last one that we talked about was one where I negotiated. Yeah. Like, you negotiated was, the deal way down. You I, kept I, giving the low offer. I kept going yeah. like the low offer, low offer. And when they were finally yeah. ready to negotiate with me, I ended up giving them an even lower offer than I had <laughs> originally been offering them for the past several months. Um, and I was able to get my money back. That includes the rental costs and the down payment in 45 days after I purchased it. And that one cash flows about 14 or $1,500 a month. Wow. 14, $1,500 on one property. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's enough to make a lot of investors drool. <laughs> and do you mind if I ask where you're at roughly as a portfolio now? I, now that you're doing Airbnb, it's probably changed quite a bit, but where do you estimate you're at now on a uh, monthly cash flow? Oh, on a monthly cash flow. I don't really know because I don't know what the numbers from Airbnb are going to look like just yet. Okay. We've done a little bit of an analysis and, um, during, because the properties that I'm buying are in more of a touristy area. So they're like beach, beachy properties, cottages, stuff like that. Was that like crystal beach area? Yeah. So okay. have, I have one in crystal beach and then another one in crescent beach. Um, very close to each other and they're they're probably going to be mostly rented during the busy summer months during the off season i don't know what the numbers are going to look like but we have seen about four to six thousand dollars a month during those four primary months and then on the other months it might be could be a five hundred dollars it could be a thousand dollars it could be nothing um yeah you might have some months of vacancy there yeah so we the we can talk a little bit about the strategy of why i purchased these ones and why Mm -hmm. i think it's a good idea and it's less risk um, because I do have a strategy going into these ones too. It's not strictly Airbnb on these properties. I would like to know what your what your angle is here. So why don't you summarize the new strategy that you're working on right now? And, yeah, so uh, we'll go on from there. <clears throat> these Airbnbs that that I've picked up are all duplexes, which uh, which I, I don't know how many people are doing that, but um, the upper units on all the the Airbnbs that that I've gotten our upper unit that are going to be long-term. So the the rents that we're going to get from the upper units on these properties will cover the cost of the mortgage and the taxes. Really? You yeah. Can, you can make that happen? You're yeah. getting these properties cheap enough that we're you can get We're getting low it. enough, yeah, that the, that the one unit upstairs, which is usually a one-bedroom, will cover the entire mortgage and the taxes. And then the lower unit, which is going to be probably, they're all, actually, they're all two bedrooms, um, will be utilities, insurance internet maybe a netflix account and then once that's paid off from the monthly income the rest is cash flow this seems to be a theme and i wanted to ask you about this so i'm just going to ask you about it uh one of the things that strikes me from the story you had last time was you're one heck of a negotiator (laughs) where'd you get that (laughs) 
And, um, uh, and maybe I was wondering if you could kind of walk me through your approach with private sellers, because I know you've bought quite a few off market. I've bought I bought two off market. Okay. Um, but a lot of them, even on market though, e- you're negotiating. Even, even on market, I, I I would say that's that's where I'm actually finding that I'm getting deals that I don't think are normal are on the on market ones where I'm doing really tough negotiations and where I'm willing to walk away where when they when they don't agree. So what's so, your approach? Are you getting in person with people or are you doing it through your realtor? What what do you find most effective? It's a mixture of both. So. The real estate agent that I've been using, um, we've actually, we've actually developed quite quite a good relationship. I've been using her for several years now, um, and with that relationship comes, I guess, a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more trust. So I'm able to ask her to probably put in offers that other real estate agents won't do, mm-hmm. and that's just because I think she understands my vision. So she understands that I need to make these numbers work. And she knows the numbers that I'm going after on these properties. So when I put in an offer that might be 10 or 20% less than what the ask price is, um, we've been able to do certain strategies where, um, like one of the ones that I picked up uh, two months ago, we were able to get it under contract for $45,000 less than the ask price. So the ask price was 315. Mm-hmm. We got it at 270. And then we were able to negotiate another $10,000 off during the due diligence because of inspection um and they sold the washer and dryer on us so Uh there there really wasn't that big of a deal it was more like okay you guys sold a washer and dryer that was supposed to be included and um and there was some minor plumbing that had to be done um which would have cost less than five hundred dollars and we were able to negotiate another ten thousand dollars off the price so when i look at the numbers that ten thousand dollars is ten thousand dollars in my pocket that's now equity um, mm-hmm. so that's why I'm really, really tough on the negotiation because I know that that money is coming back to me. Yes, absolutely. Now, do you find the market has to be a certain way for you to be able to do that? So, I mean, first off getting 45 grand off of ask price in most markets, um, even in the higher end markets, when you're talking a million bucks, they don't want to come down 45 grand. Mm-hmm. You're on 300,000 getting 45 grand mm-hmm. down. How are you able to do that? I, I don't know why nobody bought this property. Um, the specific one that we're talking about because it it makes a thousand dollars cash flow day one and i haven't had to do any repairs except the 500 dollars worth of plumbing what kind of property was it um it was a, a legal duplex the front unit we we uh so the back unit was the owners uh the owner's kids were living in the back unit they were also on title so the owner's kids had said that they're going to vacate the property the people in the front were paying twelve hundred dollars a month we when during the due diligence when we when we met the tenants in the front they had kids and they didn't have access to the backyard so the back unit is a little bit smaller but it has a backyard i i asked the tenants simply if they would be willing to move to the backyard and uh and pay the same amount or sorry to the back unit uh with the backyard and pay the same amount and uh, they were willing to do that and then we were able to rent the front for 1450 so we got a purchase price of two sixty, and we're getting mm-hmm. two thousand six hundred and fifty dollars a month in rent, and uh, they pay their own hydro and gas. We might as well just do this uh, now because this sounds like it's a good it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, so two hundred sixty thousand purchase price. Yep. And any rentals? About five hundred dollars worth of rentals. Rental five hundred bucks. Um, you probably you know you had closing, probably a little interest and carrying costs. So maybe we call it all all in like, what like two grand or three grand something like that. Sure. Yeah. We'll call it twenty five hundred. Uh, okay, so you're you're pretty much all in for two sixty two five. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Sounds right. Did you do a refinance on this one or no? 
No, this one, the capital is, it's still in there. Um, I've only owned it for three months. So your down payment on that one is? 52, 53,000. 52,000 plus a little bit of change. So if we, if we stay consistent with that 2,500, then it'll be about say 54, five yeah. all in, including some of your minor carrying costs, getting yeah. the renter, renovations all done. Okay. So let's look at your return. So you've got the uh, cash flow. It's been a while since I've done this, but this seems like a good one. <laughs> uh, so the cash flow, you're getting a thousand a month. I believe so. I believe that's about what a thousand. Getting, so so yeah. 12,000 a year on the cash flow. Yeah. You've got principal pay down of, we're going to say 3% of your, your mortgage value. $208,000 would your, be your mortgage. Sounds familiar, yep. right? And uh, we're going to just say 3% a year for a rough number. So that's about sixty-two forty a year. And then appreciation, we'll just, do you use two or three? Three. Use 3%. I'm good with that. I mean, we all know we've been getting way better than that, but you never know what, what will happen going forward. So 260 purchase price times 3%. 7,800 bucks a year. So Sean, you are getting a return of $26,000 on your $54,500 investment. Do you know what your ROI is? I guess that's like 52% off the top of my head around there. Yeah, you're, you're right around 50, I think. Yeah, okay. just a hair under. Yeah, 47. 47, okay. So you're getting 47% return on investment for something you barely had to renovate. Yeah. yeah. And how secure would you say you are? Because, and let me preface that by saying like, I feel like an investment in, say, Burlington is super secure because we're yeah. really close to Toronto. It, it'll always rent, but it won't cash flow, right? So you're in an area where your cash flow is more. Do you feel like you sacrificed security for that? No, not at all, because I've been investing there for the past few years or a couple years, like pretty aggressively, right? So I'm going through a lot of tenant profiles. Lots of people are mm -hmm. applying, I'm meeting lots of the tenants, seeing what kind of jobs they're working. And these are these are just like you know regular families working hard two two people working hard um, and you know it's there's there's lots of people that that need housing and that are looking for for apartments or 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 to live in a duplex or a triplex and it's so competitive the market is so competitive right now that there's no housing this is, mm. there's literally a crisis you know so when you put any apartment up for rent you have your pick of, you know, 10, 20, 50 applicants. Um, and that's that's pushing the numbers up too in the rents, right? It is. It absolutely yeah. is. There's people that are saying that uh, they they think it's crazy how, how much it is. But in reality, like if, if you look at the different markets, um, Niagara region is still cheaper yeah. than St. Catharines, Hamilton, and the GTA. Yeah. Well, St. Catharines is like, yeah, like kind of already the bubble it's, the bubble caught st catharines but it's still spreading yeah yeah it's it's, it's getting pretty relatively close to st catharines where where is this one this one's in welland um that this one is in fort erie fort erie okay yeah. so you're in fort erie are you uh are you done with welland for now or are you still no, looking there too no. yeah. um i'm still looking there i yeah. i oh no I, I have i put a private uh, a private offer on one but it's not in welland i thought it was so yeah i just listed my property in welland um yeah. on monday Okay. Uh, yeah. My first investment property that I ever bought. Okay. Yeah. So are you seeing better opportunities in Fort Erie now? No, I think, I think there's lots of opportunities in Welland. Um, mm -hmm. I just haven't seen anything come up in the last few months and I've been aggressively looking, yeah. looking, looking. So, okay. 
what what is your typical like before the Airbnb thing, which I know is the newest endeavor? What is your typical approach to a burr? Because I know you never really struck me as a guy that was renovating heavily. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you weren't doing necessarily a duplex conversion. You may have. No, uh, I haven't done any duplex okay. conversions. Yeah. So whereas so many guys come on here, they've gone the whole shebang. They're spending over a hundred grand to renovate a property, whereas you've been able to do it on the buy mostly. Mm-hmm from the sounds of it mm-hmm. and what are you doing for rentals on on properties i know this one you probably didn't even paint more than a couple of touch-ups <laughs> no no there was it, it was uh the tenants pretty much moved in like within a couple of days of, of buying it and that Just was as it. is that was it as yeah. is um so uh i'll give you an example of one that i closed on september 12th mm-hmm. right so september 12th uh like 14 days away 13 days away um so this is another duplex up the upper unit is going to be uh, a long-term tenant, one bedroom. Mm-hmm. Downstairs is going to be a two-bedroom, three-bedroom Airbnb. Um, it needed to be gutted. Like we had to take everything out, so we have to take the kitchens out, bathrooms out, new flooring, new trim, paint. Um, no electrical needed to be done. Some plumbing needs to be done, mm-hmm. and um, we had to get rid of a tenant too. So. I think you were posting on this. So for, for those who aren't following Sean on Instagram, follow him because, uh, yeah, you were posting all the updates of actually you had the police involved on that one. Did yeah, you know? our tenant got arrested. Because um, of a temper tantrum that was thrown? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, we put the eviction notice on on the door and she she she, she got pretty upset. Um, might have been she might have been a little bit uh, a little bit drunk. But yeah. she uh, she was pretty upset and she was kicking doors and like knocking on windows and screaming and uh, somebody else called the police on her um, and they ended up mm-hmm. they ended up arresting her. They let her back in the house and um, I, I spoke with her the next day when she was sober. She didn't remember that I was even there, so she oh. was she was pretty inebriated. Um, but again, just part of the journey, I guess. So this is some you know uh, good story to tell. But uh, yeah, so we have, we're we're still in, in the process of uh, of moving her um the downstairs is well on its way in renovation so we've already gutted everything um done the full demo dumpsters taken everything and we've done we've painted we've painted the whole the whole entire lower level um we've bought the new kitchen new kitchen cabinets are in i have a flooring guy working there right now um today so you've already re-drywalled. You said you got it. You've already put the drywall we, on. We didn't take we didn't take all the walls down. No. So okay. We just so you just existing. ripped out the existing kitchen, uh, left Bathroom. the walls as they are. Yeah. Electric stayed in. Electric stayed in. Okay. We took out the tub. Um, okay. Took out um, va- so vanity. So it's not a clean plumbing. slate basement rental where you just got concrete walls on all sides. Yeah. It was more of a clean it out and then let's refloor it, re-kitchen it. Exactly. Are you moving plumbing or you're no. moving plumbing as no. is? No. The only thing that yeah. we're going to be adding with plumbing is just a, a stackable washer and dryer in the bathroom because it was large enough to do that. Um, okay. So just a good use of space, I think. So a little bit of broken concrete for that? No, no. Nope. Didn't no, even have to? Don't even have to. No. Nope. Yeah. So um, all, all in, we're probably going to be looking at about 30000 in renos um, for both upper and lower and um this property came on the market uh on mls hundred and sixty thousand dollars because of just the state it was in all the work that it needed um i put an offer on the first day for 185 and got it i I know there were multiple offers i don't know what the other offers came in at but we got it for 185 so the mortgage on that is 140,000 um i got a purchase plus improvements on this one for 31,000 Mm-hmm. So I know that the thirty-one thousand investment is gonna gonna come back. Yeah, and then we're looking at an appraisal of probably around three hundred. So you'll be in for around two hundred, and you'll get an appraisal at three. 
Right. Yeah, so I, I expect we'll probably make a thirty, forty thousand dollar profit after getting our down payment and rental so, back. So that's the that's the truly perfect burr where you can pull all your money out. <laughs> yeah, we should be getting all the money all the money out plus some profit as well. Is that the one that's on the beach? That's one of the beach ones. It's a it's across the street from the beach, so okay. it's you you can just walk right down to the to the beach. It's a it's a public beach, yeah. so that's why I, I thought it was a great Airbnb. Yeah, anything where you're close to the beach. I mean. You know, the Niagara region, when I used, when I started in the mortgage business, it was for a lot of people, it was like no go. Like private lenders wouldn't lend east of Hamilton. Yep. They're like, nope, not doing that. You know, St. Catharines, sure, but anywhere else, no. Yep. Man, has it ever changed. It right? has. It's it just, has. Now it's like, and, and it's, you know, these beach towns, they're, they're the kind of last ones, right? Because they're the closest to Buffalo. They're mm-hmm. the furthest from Toronto. You yes. know, it was just it was just a matter of time yep. before the ripples hit it. Yeah, uh, you know, and I say, yeah, drop the rock in the pond, the ripples spread, and yeah. and that's where they're spreading. It's the next one. Uh, really cool that you were able to find that that way. Now, do you find there's a lot of competition down there on the market, or a lot of properties sitting for the, those kind of properties? There is a lot of competition, but again, I think it's just timing. You got to make sure that you're um, one of the some somebody somebody asked like uh, the I think it was yesterday. Um, what's the best advice you can give a rookie investor? You know, and my answer was one, educate yourself to take action and three, stay consistent. So it's about mm. consistency. I I'm, I'm looking every single day and I'm yeah. making those connections so that when a good deal does come up, at least I'll be top of mind and they'll say, maybe Sean's going to be interested in this. I like to ask this to anybody who who's getting it done and getting it done effectively is do you have a weekly structure or a daily structure of, of like a checklist, things that you do every day? And what are those things? And how do you keep yourself organized on a daily basis? Yeah, time management is huge. Um, I get that question a lot on how do you even manage to do all of this stuff? Because mm-hmm. I'm still working my nine to five job. I have a family. I have two kids. Um, and I'm managing a portfolio, like a portfolio of real estate on my own. It's all self-managed. So um I don't have anything that's specifically structured. I do need to work on on that. Mm-hmm. But I do find that I make a checklist and it's almost like a mental checklist where I, I know that these are the things I need to do. And as as those things come up to my mind, I don't ever procrastinate. I will do it on the spot. And okay. so I, I just make sure that whenever something comes up, if it if it comes to my mind, I don't even put it to the side and say, I'll do it later. I just do it at that exact okay. moment. So on any given day, I mean, of course, you've got family responsibilities when you wake up, uh, make sure the kids get off to school. Are they going to school? Yet? Yeah, they're both in school now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they grow up so fast. They do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you've got to make sure the kids get off to school. Then you go to work. Yeah. And just presumably sometime at work, you're able to uh, get on the MLS and check out some deals. I'm sure you're on a drip for the different areas you're interested in. Yeah, I, I do get, um, I, before I was scouring MLS for every single deal, but now I do get, I'll get the email blast uh, from, you know, all, all Niagara region. I, 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 I'll get uh, Windsor Market too. And um, that's and, a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I like to just at least stay in the loop, right? Just know where so, stuff's at. So I, I know where, where things are at, but I'll, I'll get all those. And those are probably the very first things that I look at in the morning is the, the real estate lists of all the properties that came on the market that day. So I'll go through them all. And if there's nothing interesting, I just hit delete. Um, sometimes I am getting text messages though from different real estate agents yeah. that I've connected with asking me if I'm interested in specific ones. Now, what I find with that, like I'm on one for, for Hamilton and I have a great idea of the general, uh, but there are every street sort of differs. And, and, you know, if you're 
north of King Street, south of Maine. Uh, it might be confusing this in my head right now, but there's like a little pocket that's good. But if you're on the other side of uh, of the street, then it's not good. They always and, used to say if you're north of the tracks. North of the tracks. Yeah, sure, yeah. that's a bad area. But the, the demographics are changing. It's just constantly changing. But I guess that where I was going with that is it's it can be quite difficult. So obviously, this isn't something that happens overnight. Your, your ability to just it, by seeing it every day, you start to associate, okay, I know that area. I know that area. So you're doing that while you're at work. You have at least a, you know, a break where you can, how much time are you spending on that to just look through the properties? Hey guys, let's just pause the episode for a second and hear from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by the Real Estate Growth Summit, hosted in Toronto, Ontario at the Pearson Convention Center on November 11th and 12th. I have Dylan here to talk to you about the things that you're going to learn at the Real Estate Growth Summit. Dylan, take it away. Thanks, Andrew. Really excited to be sponsors of your podcast. This event is for listeners like you that want to take your real estate sales or real estate investing business to the next level and to replace your active income with passive income through learning and implementing the systems and processes used by the best in the industry. Be prepared to walk away with some tangible tools and an action plan that I have personally used to become a top performer in the industry in just under three years. To get your tickets before prices go up, visit www.realestategrowthsummit.ca. And for being loyal listeners of Andrew's podcast, there's a special discount code just for you. All you have to do is enter Andrew REI as the promo code at checkout to save $50 off admission. The only way you're ever going to reach your massive goals is to take massive action. So go get your tickets today and we'll see you at the event. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Actually looking at real estate on a daily basis, I would say less than an hour. Less than an hour. So you're going through all the drips. Are you crunching some numbers on a couple of them saying, well, based on that look, it probably cost me this to renovate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If there's anything that actually would make sense because the, the amount of duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, or even six units, anything like that is so minimal right mm-hmm. now in the Niagara region that if anything does come up, I can usually do the numbers pretty quickly in my head. And yeah. and if it if it if I if I can say in my head, I think this will make at least five hundred dollars cash flow, then mm-hmm. then I'll actually do an analysis, right? Or if I think even if it might break even, I'll do a I'll do an analysis and I'll say, okay, if I change this, maybe their numbers are wrong, right? Are you looking for a certain percentage? Like, do you you know, well, if that's a duplex, I should be able to get $2,400 gross rent. Exactly. And can I pick it up for 200 Yeah, exactly. Is so, that kind of what you're, are you looking for 1% rule? Like you want to make sure your rents are 1% of your I, purchase price? I was before, but I won't pass anymore on ones that are under it. Yeah, like a 0.8% is okay. I won't pass on it. No, I'll buy it still. After I learned what the 1% rule was, because admittedly, I never heard that until like eight months ago, 10 months ago. I I look back at some of the ones I bought in in Bird, and I was around 0.65%. And I was still making good cash flow. So it's not that you can't. um, It just depends how aggressive you want to be. Yeah. Um, If you're patient and you don't mind waiting, then you can wait for those 1%. But how how long will it take you to find that? I think that like you've already obviously got that skill set with negotiation. If you were to take that into more off market deals, I think that you wouldn't necessarily have to wait as long, but it's more of a process. It is. So for me, that's sort of like the next step is to really hone in on that off market strategy. Yeah. And, and for a fact, my skills in it, because I've got a little bit of a soft spot for uh, for private sellers. You know, you know, they give their sad story sometimes and you're like, well want to help them out and i actually feel bad to make an offer that would make sense for me like i feel like it's just going to insult them yeah and i didn't want to do it you know i spent some time talking to a friend of mine that actually took one of my leads the last time i flyered and he scored a deal oh wow off of one of my leads nice scored a deal for like seventy thousand under market value he bought a, a, a he bought a semi-detached 
property in Hamilton for under a hundred thousand dollars. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> under a hundred. He got it for ninety-five thousand dollars. He could have probably turned around and listed it for like a hundred and seventy right off the that's bat. That's ludicrous. Yeah, it doesn't have a driveway, it doesn't have a basement. So I mean two caveats, but under a hundred grand, there's zero you, chance you, you that's not worth that. you can't find that. Like you can't find anything for that price in Hamilton. So he just kept he stayed firm. He's like, you know what? This is this is the price I can do. And, you know, we started off on the phone with her. Like, what do you think it's worth? She told him, like, right over the phone. He's like, ooh, that sounds high. Like, I'll be honest with you. It sounds high. He's like, I can still come take a look at it, but I think I'm going to be more down here. Like, you know, yeah. and she's like, okay, yeah, like, come take a look. He comes and looks. And uh, he he says, this is the number I could do. He comes back to her at 90. And she's like, well, she wanted like 170 at first. Then it was 135. Then it was 115. She's like, okay, well, I can come down to 115. But we need, you know, we need to close soon. He's like, hey, I appreciate that. You know, I, I'd love to help you out. But I told you, this is my number. This is what I can do. I'm going to send it to you. So you have the offer. He's like, even if you just throw it, you know, flush it down the toilet, at least, at least I'll know I did my part and gave it to you. And then so as he's about to do that, she calls him back and says, well, can you close it by the end of the month? Okay. They agreed on 95, five grand wow. more. And uh, that's a good got story. Got the deal done. And so he calls me back, says, Oh, hey, I got that property done. I'm like, What property? He's like, Oh, the one you gave me the lean on. <laughs> nice. And that's so, that's a great buy. Like, yeah. you know, that that's going to make, I don't, what, do you know what his plan is with it? Is he just going to well, flip it? Well, okay. So we were, we were at uh, a meetup the other day and we were listening to a talk by Dylan suitor if you if you know who that oh, is yeah. he was on the podcast so dylan was doing a podcast and he was using an analogy saying mcdonald's has a big mac and the big mac is the same no matter, no matter where you go he's like find your big mac find the thing you do and then mike after that talk he's like i'm gonna sell that property it's not my big mac gotcha. you know what i mean so he so to him like that's not something he wants to hold as a rental although he could he could be more than one percent rule on that yeah. like cash oh, yeah. flow like crazy it just doesn't make sense for a guy like him. He wants to get like he just bought a twelve plex. Like you know, he's kind of into bigger stuff. That's just gravy. That's like a gravy deal. Like yeah. you know, there's some cash that you weren't just some expecting. extra capital that you're gonna yeah. get. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be at the meetup tonight. You know, shout out uh, to uh, to Mike and uh, anybody who wants to come out to the meetup. I can introduce you. He's a uh, inspiring anyways to say the least so um yeah great story right like that's that's the kind of story i love hearing and yes. it just makes me think okay well i needed to be a little less you know concerned about the seller and just make the offer that made sense to me and the other thing i heard somebody say always be ready to make an offer the first time you see the property yeah come in with an offer and i wasn't doing that i was waiting going back doing my evaluation i should have been ready beforehand doing that so exactly because you don't know if somebody will accept an off like any yeah. offer right? you don't want to waste your time right i mean I spent all this time doing all this due diligence I, I was like taking videos of the whole property uploading it to youtube making my notes on it and i was like analysis paralysis not getting to the point of making an offer what i should have been spending all that time doing is you know working with a realtor that would kind of give me all the info and i could just back end that realtor if the if it didn't work out right try my my pitch hey by the way i've got a realtor says he'd list your property right now for this price you exactly. know since it's not working out so it, there's a way to do that as a win-win. I don't know why I'm spilling all the beans on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyways, there's a way. I think there's a way to do that as a win-win. And I'm going to come back around on it. I'm going to be doing another round of, uh, of flyering. And, and that's a skill to me. It's a life skill. Finding deals way under market is a life skill. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And investors, 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 number one tool as a real estate investor. I exactly. Think. Anyways, enough of my rant. 
Tell me about uh, more about the Airbnb because that's the next big thing for you. I know, I know you've kind of walked me through what you're doing for renos. Actually, before you do that, who's doing your renos? Do you got a good contractor? Oh, so I, I got a story for that. Um, yeah. So I, I had a contract. I had keyword. I had a contractor that um, that was doing pretty much all of my work for all the properties. Um, mm-hmm. I could call him any time of day or night. He would show up and really I could have, I could have him like emergency calls, anything, you Mm -hmm. know, um, he, he would show up. Um, I trusted him enough that I I never asked him how much he charges. He would just invoice me and it was always fair. And so he was doing all the work on, on this one that I was just telling you about. And, um, he, he has some health issues that I was aware of. And, uh, I think the job just kind of is a little bit too much stressed him out. So I I got a text message yesterday saying that he's not gonna be able to complete the job. Um, super apologetic. He said he's not going to charge me for labor for the last two days that he was working on the job. Um, but yeah, I, I need to find a new contractor. So I the flooring that I, that I have the guy doing today is a subcontracted. Mm-hmm. Um, another contact that I had, but he wa- it wasn't in the plan for him to do the work. So mm-hmm. I've subcontracted that out and uh, I'm going to have to subcontract the rest of the work out. This is where as an investor like we can get kind of lazy because we've got the guy that just keeps going. It just keeps working. But then that one time happens or something comes up in their lives or heaven forbid they get injured or have a health problem. Yeah. And then you're, you're left holding the bag. I've got, I've got one guy that does a ton for me, similar, similar relationship. Uh, you know, I don't think he's got any health problems. He'll be there tonight too. I keep saying tonight when this airs, there will not <laughs> probably be a meetup tonight, but there will be more meetups, so make sure you hit me up and I'll get you the link. I'll also make sure it's in this podcast, uh, the show notes. But uh, yeah, so, you know, he gets he gets busy like anyone else and everybody's always taking on so many jobs, right? Like your contractor says, well, you know, Sean may be able to give me, you know, 30% of the work I need to keep busy. So I'm going to go find the other 60 or 70%. Exactly. And then they realize that the 30% you gave them was actually like 60%. And then the other 70% I think they found was actually 100%. So now they're like over, overstretched really by thin. 60%. Exactly. And uh, it never seems to work well when people um, are jumping back and forth between projects. Like yeah. it, they kind of just need to stay. My, my process worked best where I had a full-time employee that was a competent framer. He could, he could basically frame, project manage, do flooring, uh, trim and door, all the basics, so I'd still sub drywall and the kitchens and, and stuff. But, you know, all the odds and ends worked. So I was actually able to do, you know, new construction build, you know, additions and have it closed in three months, three and a half months. Fairly quickly. Yeah, like really quickly, whereas those things could stretch on five months now if I'm subbing everything to different people. Yes, I, so, I do see that with some of the people that are doing the duplex conversions and it could take a lot longer They're taking way longer than expected here's yeah here's the way it works because i'm sure for people who haven't been there it it actually is new my experience of how it works having had guys that worked for me and did everything is the quality is not quite as good like it's passable but it's never going to be quite as good if you've got a guy that doesn't do trim and door every day Mm -hmm. like his joints are going to be a little less solid you know you know there's going to be a little bit more caulking needed but you're going to get stuff done fast. And if you're doing stuff that doesn't need to be super high end, then that's probably okay. Or you go with subs and then you get a specialized trade for each thing. And that's what they do all day long. Your drywall guy only does drywall. Your trim guy only does trim. 
but then you wait for their schedule. They're finishing up a job. Your job's supposed to start on Tuesday, but the last guy before before was late three days, and so now they're pushed back. So now your other contractor takes on a different job in between. Exactly. And, uh, and things just go on and on and on. And I actually do prefer to have my own internal employee as long as I've got enough workflow to keep them busy. Yes. So as I scale back up, that's something I'm going to be looking to do again. That's just to me uh, the best way to scale and grow. Absolutely. To, ha- to have somebody that's not going to leave your site and go somewhere else. Sure, everyone starts somewhere. You're not going to hire an employee off of day one. But down the road, I think that's a, a great way to go. I was just talking to a friend of mine. Yeah. This exact We had this exact conversation um, um, because he's he's scaled his uh, his portfolio into larger, larger units as well, like 11 mm-hmm. units and uh, I think a 24 unit now. And um, yeah, you have to have that property management in place. And, uh, and then you have to have somebody almost to you have to have everything systematized for you to be able to scale and grow Mm -hmm. so if if you want to go from you know buying two units three units four units and start buying apartment buildings you you need to really or or if you're just doing new builds right Mm -hmm. you need to have that one guy that's dedicated that's going to basically manage everything otherwise you're the one who's going to be doing everything all the time i i ran into this on the weekend um this 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 exact same job where this contractor had left Mm -hmm. um or he has now left um and it wasn't it wasn't his fault, but uh, I, we went to Home Depot, rented out a an air sprayer for paint, and had it dropped off ready to go. He tried using it in the morning. They hadn't cleaned it properly at Home Depot. Yeah. And he spent a couple hours trying to fix it, and then he brought it back to Home Depot, and then they they cleaned it, and then he brought it back. So he lost half the day, yeah. and he wasn't able to come back the next day. So our plan was to finish everything in that one day, um, and I ended up. I ended up actually finishing the job myself because I knew I had to get that done so that we can continue yeah. with the process. So I've been there. Yeah. It was supposed to be a burr. I ended up selling it, but I actually spray painted and I sprayed the whole house in one night. Again, not the best strategy, but it was passable. And I uh, spray paint, sprayed the whole house and, uh, I finished at like 5.30 a.m., went to 7-Eleven, got like a cookie for breakfast, <laughs> slept in my car for an hour, and then the workers showed up, and I literally opened the door as my workers shows up. I'm like, oh, hey, Bill, how you doing? <laughs> After an hour of sleep in my car. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you got to do that that crunch time. And, yeah. And that's where, I mean, to me, that seems like such a foreign concept now. Like going yeah. back to, to the way I used to do things, I guess I'm a little spoiled uh, that I don't have to do that. But that's where I, I rely so much on the good trades. Exactly. Like I, my painter, that guy like bends over backwards for me. Good guy. Like he, he credits me with helping him start his business because uh, he had a partner and I'm, I guess between talking to me and one other guy, we gave him enough business. I gave him enough business that he could leave his partner and just go out on his own, started his company. And he's, he's been growing and, and flourishing ever since. So he always says, he's like, Andrew, for you. And I try not to take advantage. He's like, oh, whatever you want to pay. I'm like, no, please don't do that. No, tell me what what's fair to you. Yeah. Like, that's the conversation. He's like, Andrew, you just pay me whatever you think is fair. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Like, that's a great relationship to have. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do whatever we both think is fair. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. you want people like that. Treat them well and bend over backwards for them. And they'll so treat they'll, you just as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so th- that that kind of relationship, I try and... Try and find more of them yes. as I can. Yep. I find the meetups good for that. Uh, we're going to go to the meetup after this um, because there are a few contractors that come and they've done work for people that are in the room. I love that. You know, you can actually get firsthand referrals exactly. of people who've used them. Exactly. So. That's great. I've had yeah. some people reaching out to me recently asking that are investing in the Niagara region. They're asking me for 
for tradespeople. And yeah. they're, like they're from GTA, right? So they don't have those connections. It's so important to get those connections. Yes, those connections are everything. Yeah, they say network is your net worth. And I, I believe that more and more as oh, time absolutely. passes. I'm actually really loving the idea of general contractors. Mm-hmm. I've never used a general contractor ever. Mm-hmm. I've done, I've been the general contractor. One thing I sort of regret on this, this conversation is not having every system and procedure written out. I oh, had yeah. everything in my head. I've had everything in my head all along and I had good employees that knew what was in my head and they knew what to do. But, you know, one of those employees I had ended up having some personal problems, could no longer work for me. And I was, you know, I was like a month from students moving in and I was not anywhere near ready for the students to move in. And it was like incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what's important is establishing what's your expectation for Trimador? What's your expectation for flooring and, and walls, you know, and framing? Like, even if you're not an expert in these things, if, if you know that your tile guy complains because the wall isn't framed perfectly, then in your expectations for framing around, you know, the, uh, the bathtub you literally can you can make a word document with pictures and show a level against <laughs> it really, depends on how deep you want to go but i think it's it's worth investing in a good manual for what you expect sure you can have a good general contractor but what happens if that general contractor gets too busy and says i can't help you anymore mm-hmm. then what do you do when the next one doesn't have the same level of quality um expectation that the first one did or or the standard Uh, There's a good book, The E-Myth Revisited. I think it was Michael E. Gerber. And it's all about creating systems in your business. I got to read that. And yeah, I got to go back and read it. It basically explains why do most businesses fail? Because people don't have systems. And so right now, like I'm doing it with the podcast. Like I've got a a new person that's helping me with editing the podcast. And I'm saying like one of the first things we're doing is we're systematizing everything. Like I'm showing you, but we're recording a manual for how to do this. Because eventually... I'll want him doing other things. And then we're going to give somebody else the manual and say, now you're doing the podcast. Exactly. And um, I think changes will be less daunting with systems. Yes. Generally speaking, like changes of people, personnel. If you've got everything so dummy proof that that even somebody who's not in that specific trade knows what you want. Yeah. Granted, they're not going to be as fast at it, but they know what you want and they can make sure it happens. Then you know, that's, that's a win. You might need to hire expert help to help you build the, pr- the procedures, mm-hmm. but you know, say that costs you a couple thousand dollars to have like, you know, have your framer write the framing part and your trim guy write the, tr- the trim part. I think at the end of the day, that's worth it. That's uh, something I'm mulling over. I know I'm rambling here, but I, I think that that could actually be really, really valuable in this business. It absolutely would be one of, one of the things that I've, per- this is more of a, a personal um, strategy and maybe it's a tip um, for, for newer investors is when I started buying and doing the renovations, I was hands-on with a lot of the stuff. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. just hiring the contractors and then just letting them have at it and Mm -hmm. do whatever they want to do. I would go onto the site and make sure that I was there and almost like, I don't want to use the word micromanaging, but it was, it was more like me just going, being there, being on the spot, asking lots of questions, um, asking them if they think that this is the right thing to do, or this is the right thing to do, getting their suggestions, and then using all of that feedback to now have a better understanding of what's the right way to be doing the tiling? What's yes. the right way to put this kitchen in? How should this plumbing be done? How, how should the electrical be done? Right. And with all of that, um, I think that I now have a much, much stronger, better understanding of how to go in and do the renovation. So yeah. even though I'm not, I'm, I'm spending a lot less time than I was before with the renovations, but now I can go in and I can tell the contractor, I need you to do this and mm-hmm. I need you to do it this way. 
And yep. that makes everything so much more streamlined. Yes, I do think that's important. For me, it was baptism by fire because my first one I general contracted myself and it was pretty significant. And the only other experience I'd had in construction or renovations was when I was nine and my parents built a house. And uh, I helped, I laid some shingles, <laughs> call, call that irresponsible on my parents' mom, if you're listening, um, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have done that. No, I'm just kidding. It was fun. Um, anyway, so I didn't have a lot of experience, learn baptism by fire. Uh, people will help though. It's like anything, like if, if you, you find a couple of good people who understand where you're coming from, say, Hey, look, I am new at this, uh, but I'm looking, I'm looking to grow. I'm an investor first and foremost, but I need to be responsible, grow responsibly. So I'm going to general contract my own project to learn. I actually don't even recommend this, but I also don't recommend using a GC unless you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like it's a good relationship to have. So maybe start small, do a couple of small renovations with your own people, find your own trades and then grow. That would probably be the easiest way. Yes. Uh, I, I grew way too fast, but if you do that, like you said, you just learn everything. Mm-hmm. You you learn the lingo. You learn yeah. how they speak. Exactly. You know, is that column plum or level? No, the, the, the column is plum and the, you know, table is level. You know, just things like that. I actually had one of the trades co- correct me. He's like, first off, the wall is plum, not level. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good to know. It, yeah. it also, I think, prevents you from getting taken advantage of by anybody. Yes. Yeah, once you can once you can show them that you know what goes into it, I think the most critical single piece of information you want to get out of it is how many hours does it take to do that job? Because yes. if you understand exactly. how many hours it takes to do the job and do it right, then you can start to quantify what it should cost. Yep. Because every player, every person, whether they want to admit it or not, is kind of factoring in a time, a payment for their time. Yes. So they'll say I price by the job, but they're ultimately figuring, well, I want to make at least... 50 or 80 bucks an hour, but I can't tell him that. So I'm just going to give him a job price or whatever. Exactly. You know, he wants certainty. So I'll give him a job price. Exactly. Um, so if you work backwards and you say, well, a good skilled person in this field is probably going to want to make this. Then when you get a quote for 10,000 and you were expecting five, you just don't even bother with that guy and yep. you keep looking to the next yep. one. So it helps so much when you talk to them, they get it. Um, they, they'll respect you as a professional and I think that you want to grow in this business. That's just part of the process. Exactly. Start small, right? The first couple of properties you're using a home inspector, you, you know, if just a minor lipstick type renovation, a little paint, maybe some cabinets, and then you can grow, right? Like Sean, you didn't start off big on your first one, right? No, I, I was house hacking and uh, doing little tiny renovations over, you know, a year, Yeah. basically a year, two years, three years. Um, on that property in Welland that I was telling you about. That's the one that I listed this week, actually. Yeah. Did it still turn out well, or do you look back at it and you're like, well, it would be a lot better if I did it again now? That property was the worst investment property I've ever bought. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, it is because when I did, so I, I did an audit uh, or an, an, an analysis of all the properties that I have, and that one is the only property that I own that breaks even. Oh, so, so you're saying wise. it's not making cash, it's only breaking even. It's breaking even, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, on the equity side, it's appreciated by double. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good thing. But um, with the LTB um, laws, you, you have to keep your tenants and you can only raise by standard guidelines. Um, my tenants have been there for quite a while and um, it just, it made more sense to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ask them if they would leave? No, I didn't ask them if they leave. I actually, if they would leave, I actually, um, I was very upfront with with them 
I gave them the option to do rent to own okay. uh, initially um, because I thought, you know, if, if they want to buy it and we can make a deal, then um, I won't list it. I'm, I'm selling it privately. Um, I'll, I'll still get the, the pay down over the next three years. Uh, maybe it'll appreciate in three years. And, uh, and then I can help somebody out too at the same time. Yeah. Unfortunately, with their finances and everything at the purchase price that uh, that I was asking, they they weren't able to do it. Um, so then the second option that I gave them was that I was upfront and said that I'm I'm going to be selling the property just because it's it's not performing well and it is an investment for me. Um, so I gave them the option that if they wanted to, we could increase the rent, um, and I wouldn't sell it. Um, totally, totally optional, no obligation, right? One of the tenants did actually say that they'd be willing to pay $300 more a month than what they were already paying, Yeah, which was great. Um, the other one was non-negotiable. They, they, they didn't want to raise it and uh, it just wasn't enough cash flow for me. So that's, right. that's why I ended up making that decision. Sure does make it seem like a great option here in Ontario to buy something new construction or if you build a new construction unit, I actually found out this gold nugget. Now, don't quote me on this, uh, but uh, basically, if it's new, I think it was after November 2018, it's not rent controlled. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so here's the here's the one. I, I've got to get clarification on this, and I'm not sure who to ask. The one property I, I pulled the permit in September, didn't finish it until April. Mm-hmm. Or no, it finished. I think it closed the permit in February. So which side of that deadline do I fall on? Because November fell after I took out the permit, but then I didn't finish the unit until after that, that the rule came in into 2019. Place. Yeah. I they closed the permit in 2019. So the, unit was finished. That's a, that's a good question. Um, See, it's sticky. Oh, yeah. Got a fair. Yeah. But, uh, they may say that because it wasn't finished. It, well, it definitely was not livable before the rule was passed. Yeah. So they, they might say that the, those guidelines don't apply to that one. So I, I probably have to call LTB, yeah. uh, the landlord tenant board, to yep. uh, to ask them that question. Now they heavily favor tenants, so yes. I feel like they'll just say it's 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 in favor of the tenant if it's in question. But hey, it doesn't hurt to ask. Uh, you know, I won't give them any specifics. I won't give them the address. And you probably started off at market rents anyway, since it is a new. Did right? yeah, and the girl in there, honestly, I walked in there. She keeps it like a model unit. Perfect. Like if I was if I was a leasing agent showing how like showing a model unit this is how i would keep the unit i walked in there to change the furnace filter i was blown away that's I'm great like oh my god that, it was you amazing. have to love it when you have tenants that are like that that yeah. really treat it like their home yep they don't treat it like they're just you know uh, yeah. boarding there for for a year and then gonna go somewhere else so well yeah that's that's the whole strategy with do it nice right yeah. i mean I don't, and not everybody agrees and it is there are pros and cons to it but i mean that's the one with the vaulted ceilings and the quartz counters exactly. and stainless steel you know it's just a single girl by herself started a new career she wanted a second bedroom so people could come visit her she got the two bed two bath so yeah. it's everything she wanted worked out just right um, yeah, like you, nicer product attracts nicer, nicer it's, tenant, It's right? very true. I had a discussion today about, uh, whether I should be buying the laminate countertop or the, or the, well, quartz or granite, um, for the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're going to, we're going to get the granite, but, yeah. um, maybe if you asked me before, I might've said the laminate to save the cost. But I yeah. think, I think with the strategy that we're trying to do, especially with Airbnb, we want it to be a little bit nicer. Yeah. Um, so spend the extra money. I actually just did my first laminate countertop in like four years yeah. on my property uh, that it already had laminate in it. And I was just doing like a little gussy up. Yeah. Um, at the time, I, I, I just didn't think it was necessary to get the rents. Like it, I didn't think it was going to make any difference. And yeah. 
but you know what? I went against my own advice. I usually always do it. It's just, it was a totally unexpected renovation. It was like a $25,000 cash call that I was not expecting whatsoever. So I just said, you know what? I'll replace like with like and yeah. uh, down the road, if I want to go a little more extreme, I will, but um, it has to make sense. Yeah. So in this scenario, we know that we're going to get an appraisal done mm-hmm. on, on the house, right? Right. When we finish. Yep. So I think we'll get it back on the appraisal anyways. Yeah. I mean, if you're in certain neighborhoods, it really doesn't make sense to do it. Yeah. But I think where I invest, generally speaking, it does. Yeah. And any of the like any sort of family rental I would ever do as like a a new renovated product, like a fully planned renovation, I would always be doing it yeah. because I'd rather just my the tenant profile I want is the professional, hopefully in transition. Mm. I actually heard Sarah Larby talk about this. Um, I haven't published the podcast yet, but I also heard her talk about it on her podcast is she does not like it when people come in and say they're looking for their forever home. She does not want that. She wants people who are coming in saying that they, you know, they're moving to the area. They'd like to try out the neighborhood uh, or they're not sure if they'll be staying in town. They're on a work contract for two years or a work contract for one year. Some form of transition. Yeah. Right. Because then they'll leave. I can and understand can, that. Then you can increase rent. You don't I can want understand forever that. Exactly. Home. I mean, and, and this was kind of like, at first I heard that. And I'm like, that is brilliant. Like, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. And you know, my, yeah. my perspective will probably, if you asked me a couple of years ago, would have been different. I would have said, I want somebody to come in. That's never going to leave. Yeah. But with, uh, with experience comes that knowledge that, yeah. uh, that, you know, you don't want to get stuck. Yeah. with the same people living there forever you do want to have that turnover you maybe want to yeah. renovate it make it look a little bit nicer increase the rents as the as the time goes by as well banks look at your income and if you have a low rent it could hurt you on everything you try and do mm-hmm. so it's not just that it, it underperforms it, it hurts you from doing other things too exactly so it's worth it to give your tenant a bonus to give them first month free to get the higher rent number on the lease so that you can show the bank the higher rent number yes. even if you give them first month free that's fine i mean that's totally kosher as far as the bank's concerned there's nothing uh there's nothing illegal about that um give them an incentive to come in and charge them a higher rent and yep. uh Especially if you want to grow because the banks will limit you, yeah. you know, if you're not showing that income. And I think it's our market too, right? For somebody who's in a market that's not experiencing the growth that we have, maybe they do just want the tenant that will stay forever. But yeah. in our high growth market, that's it's, it's kind of become a detriment. Okay, so uh, what haven't we covered yet today? I wanted to get the full update from you. Um, so the Airbnb strategy is, is the next big thing that's occupying your mind. What, what caused you to decide that? Um, so... I've, I've met a couple people that are doing Airbnbs in that area. I actually didn't know anything about Airbnb other than that I've actually used it myself during traveling. Um, and I didn't know what the markets were like in Niagara region. I didn't realize that people are willing to pay $200 a night to, to stay in Crystal Beach or, or, uh, or Niagara Falls or um, even Fort Erie. So... That was that was kind of a shock to me, and then when I looked at uh, at the numbers of some people that I've met that actually do operate Airbnbs there, I was kind of blown away. And I said, okay, that same type of unit, I'd be able to rent out for let's say uh, twelve hundred dollars a month. Um, so if if I was getting uh, like fourteen thousand dollars a year, um, that that would equate to just that would equate to less than what they're making just in the summer. Mm-hmm. So if I was renting out long term, they're making like anywhere between. 16,000 and 24,000 in the in summer four months on a unit on a you on that same unit single unit okay and if it gets rented outside of those four months that's even more profit so from 
from a profitability standpoint, it makes sense. And I was able to hedge that risk by getting the ones that uh, yeah. have that have another unit upstairs that pay for the cost of the property. Yeah. And you know what? That's also probably a pretty good thing from an HST standpoint so that the assets never looked at as being a commercial asset because you still have 50% of it being used for normal residential. I haven't thought about that, but yeah. uh, yes. Uh, that's the technical speak. Our American friends don't need to worry about that. I, I'm sure you have your own worries, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one of our, our Ontario uh, challenges. I agree with you that it seemed very lucrative. The challenge I have is uh, the market validation, which I've also been having some conversations, and this is something I will will be diving into probably in the next six to 12 months, mm-hmm. uh, taking on some Airbnbs, because I do think the cash flow is going to warrant it. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of doing it in uh, more of a place like Hamilton or Toronto, like where it's more of a year-round occupancy, whereas yeah. a beach town is going to be very, very Seasonal. focused on, on summer. Yes, exactly. And, yeah, so I guess the true litmus test will be how do you do over the winter? Yes, yeah. I have a feeling even people that were thinking about staying in Fort Erie, I don't know, how far are you, like 20 minutes? From where? From Fort Erie? No, like where, where I am or where like the Airbnbs Crystal, are? Oh, Crystal, Crystal Beach. Beach. That's about 10 minutes. 10 minutes? 10 minutes. Or if yeah. they go to the other beach place? That's in Fort Erie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're only 10 minutes. So people who were just planning on coming to Fort Erie or maybe they were they were doing something in the area in the winter, I feel like you'll get some. Yeah, because it's bordering um, Buffalo, New York. Yeah. I'm seeing that a lot of a lot of the people that are booking are US. So there's the Americans would be like... Well, I wouldn't mind Cro- seeing crossing Canada. over into Canada. <laughs> we'll just pop over there and then yeah. we'll, we'll head on up. Yeah. yeah. And with the dollar, um, it's it a lot cheaper. Lot so if you're charging $200 a night, it's only 140 for them. That's actually uh, super interesting. I would love to see uh, some of these numbers as you yeah. get going. So you'll have to you'll have to shoot me an email and kind of let me know how it's going. I think that there's like no matter what market anyone's in, like you kind of got to do some validation. Did you have a specific validation other than your friends showing you some numbers or that was enough you saw hey similar area similar units uh, you know i can't go wrong yeah so i think it was <clears throat> it's it's uh it's kind of overall uh, a few different things one being that i'm able to do the burr strategy and execute it on the property so mm-hmm. i know that i'm going to be able to get most of my money back and um it it can potentially cash flow thousands of dollars a month with airbnb if it doesn't and worst case scenario it's horrible. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to rent on Airbnb. I know that I can still rent it long term yeah. to to a regular tenant um, on on a long term strategy and uh, and maybe still cash flow five hundred to eight hundred dollars a month on it. So it's still it's still a, a win win either way. Perfect example of multiple multiple strategies, right? Multiple exits. You know, one call it an exit. It's not really an exit, but I you know refi and Airbnb refi and. Uh, and rent to regular tenants in your case you don't even need to refi it's making the money that you needed to make yep and then of course down the road you can go back and and refi that and pull a bunch of money out hopefully so <laughs> so yeah it'll hopefully be good for you now kind of a different question here but what's changed in your life personally since the last time you were on or business wise i know you're focusing on airbnb but do you feel like there's been a major shift for you um I wouldn't say major, but it definitely it's it's this journey that I feel that I'm going on that is just progressing into something that that I wasn't planning. Um, mm-hmm. So I think on the last episode we talked about it, we talked about kind of my path to getting to into real estate, and then how I got started and how I grew over a year year yeah. and a half. 
Um, and now, now I'm seeing that, uh, you know, with the cash flow coming in from the properties, obviously like it does, it does change your life because you don't stress as much about, about, uh, you know, like having a job and, mm-hmm. and, and having that money coming in. And so it, in, in that sense, it does give you a, I guess more of freedom, right. It gives you more freedom. Um, maybe a, fi- a little bit more financial independence. And I think that this journey that I'm going along now, I'm, I, I just want to continue growing, but I also, I've, I've had a lot of people reaching out to me and I want to, I want to just add value to other people's lives by t- like, you know, maybe like teaching them, just showing them, giving them my hand and saying here that like, you can, you can do exactly what I'm doing. If you just follow these steps, cause there, we talked about this last time too. There's, there's a recipe Mm-hmm. to be able to do this successfully and why not just help these people that are trying to get into real estate that are you know trying to change their lives they're trying to create financial freedom for themselves and their family and uh so i th- i think i'm trying to, i'm trying to kind of change my path into not just focusing on myself and and my investing but also helping other people too that's awesome and i, I love that about our community of investors is it, it seems like everyone's so willing to help yes yep it's it's a it's a good thing i i know so many industries people aren't like that for some reason this one people are they want to uh, some of it's bragging you know people are like ah you know what i'm doing hey those are great moments to tune in yeah you know when people tell you a success story yeah but uh you know what what you're talking about i think it is fantastic i think that there's there's sort of a process that needs to be followed like no one can just hear it from you if they don't implement right if they're right. not looking at properties every day like you've been doing to know that's a good deal, that's not a good deal, or that property stands out as being under list, like under value, mm-hmm. because I've seen houses on that street all year long, and that one's the lowest one I've ever seen. So, exactly. So then you start to know, you see patterns, and the only way you're going to get that is if you're constantly looking. Exactly. It all so, comes through experience, and you know, surrounding yourself with the same people that are doing the yeah. same things. Yeah. So it's a it's a combination. If I had to summarize it, and I wonder if you agree. So I would say podcasts, books. Like there's a certain amount of that you should have it in every day yes. happening. Yes. Uh, real estate books and podcasts, and then meetups. I would say try and get to like four a month if you can. I if mean, you everyone's, can, yeah. Everyone's got like a different schedule, and then find people who are willing to mentor and either work for them for free or pay them to be your coach. Or if, if they're willing enough and you can get enough of what you need, uh, just gently ask questions until you get enough answers. And I was fortunate enough. Like I had somebody do that for me, never charged me. Yep. He actually acted as my realtor, but he was an investor too. So he taught me and, and sold me properties. That's perfect scenario. And yeah. yeah, so he was an investor and he would take the best properties and give me the second best properties. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I still made money. Um, you know, like I said, you can't get your ego into it. Uh, but man, did I ever learn. And those are life skills. Yeah. And then, you know, it ended up, I ended up doing stuff he hadn't done and I ended up teaching him back yeah. and, you know, it goes around, comes around. So exactly. it worked out really well. And I find that I just want to share, like you, you almost just want to share your experiences and say like, um, you know, this, if you, if you have this scenario, like you can do this, 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 and you give your different experiences. And sometimes it's almost like eye opening for people and they have this aha yeah. moment where they're like, I never thought of that. And it changes their whole journey, yeah. their whole path that they were going on. Well, it's nice to help people, right? Yeah. Like I obviously everyone wants to, I want to help as many people as I can. Like, I think that's why the big part of doing the podcast, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to get in person with people, but that's what the, the meetups are for. And it's all part of the process. And, you know, I certainly am glad to be, be able to be in this little community. So Sean, why don't you remind people where they can reach you if they want to follow your journey and, you know, maybe get in touch with you. 
Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm super active on all social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, just Sean Rea. Um, I have a website, reaig.com, and I think uh, seanrea.com as well. Um, so you okay. can reach me, reach me on there. And uh, if you send me a DM or message me with any questions, I will make sure that I do respond and answer back. Awesome. Well, that's a that's one heck of an offer, right? And I, I offer the same. I will respond back to everyone. So anyways, Sean, really appreciate it. I know this was a little bit of a trip for you, but I'm sure the listeners and viewers will will certainly be glad that you made the trip. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad to be here and I'm looking forward to uh, the meetup tonight. All right. Okay. So Sean, we'll, uh, we'll see you at the meetup and, uh, and then on the, uh, the next update. All right. Thanks, okay. Andrew. Talk soon. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Just a quick reminder to please rate and review this podcast. If you have not already done so, if you're watching on YouTube, please take a moment and click that subscribe button. Give it a like, leave me a comment. It just helps more people to find the podcast helps it grow. 